0: What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 102 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with author Bill Konigsberg. First of all, thank you so much for checking out my show. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to adult education. This show is all about learning new things or maybe learning more about some other topics. I speak with experts across all fields to learn more about health, education, technology, mental health, and really just about anything. If you'd like to support adult education, the best way to do so is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you feel like sharing a few words in a review, that would also be fantastic. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. I love how word of mouth can really inspire new people to check out the show. I don't have a ton of fiction authors on this show, but this opportunity came up and I just had to take it. Today, I'm speaking with Bill Konigsberg. Over the years, Bill has become a popular voice in young adult fiction. He's also become a major voice in LGBTQ literature. He's published six books that have all won various awards. His seventh was just released, and that's what caught my attention. So we're going to talk about his book, Destination Unknown. Now, this story takes us to 1980s New York City. Destination Unknown follows two very different teenage boys who meet during the height of the AIDS epidemic. Both are gay and both see the world through different sets of glasses one Micah is closeted and still learning about who he wants to be the other CJ seems out and proud with no fear at all I fell in love with this book instantly. Even though it's a work of fiction, I felt like it really transports the reader into a time and place with pop culture references and vivid scenery. I was born in 1981. So, yeah, I grew up in the 80s, but I don't really remember a lot of it. I appreciated being able to learn more about the emotions and struggles that gay people, especially gay youth, had to go through during what was such a terrifying time in our history. Talking with Bill was great. He's just an honest guy, which comes across in his writing and in this conversation. And even though he says this book is not autobiographical, he did live through the time, which he describes. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bill Konigsberg. Hey there. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you. Excellent. Bill, the book is great. Uh, I, I will say I'm a, I'm a painfully slow reader, and I sat down and opened up the book, and before I knew it, I was already 60 pages in to the book. I mean, oh, I just cool. couldn't put it down right away. I haven't had time to finish it just yet, Um, okay. but it is a, a really great book. I just I felt like everything was so was so real and relatable in so many ways. Even though as a straight male, and you're talking about a couple of gay characters uh, that are the primary people in this, I still felt so, re- it still felt so relatable to me. Thank you, I, I, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, and I won't ruin the book for you. Thank you, thank you. It, it's also very believable. Like I know it's a a fiction story, but it takes place at a very real time. That it, I don't yes. know if that's the right way to put it, but it just felt very believable to me. I almost felt like it was a historical take on the situation. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a
1: historical novel, but I think one thing I'm learning from readers is that one thing I've done well in this book is I guess the term is verisimilitude, which is like creating something that feels absolutely real, because people keep asking, oh, is that your story? And no, I mean, there are parts of it that I certainly very much relate to, but it's not mine.
0: Um, before we dive into more of the story here, I also just want to say I was on your website looking at your bio, and I saw you were voted most likely to avoid doing any real work in life by a panel of your disinterested peers, it says, which I thought was very good. So tell me more about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, you're catching me on a day where I'm thinking I'm going to do two of these and then I'm going to bed. So yeah, it feels right for today. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't
1: know, um, you, you know, I
0: are you a sports fan? Uh, you know, I am. And actually, it's funny, when I read that you did sports stuff, I was like, that's where the name sounds very familiar to me. I think I've read some of your work before.
1: Yeah, you, you know, everything began uh, in my career because in 1994, the baseball strike was happening and I had no job and I was a lazy bum and I just graduated college. I uh, decided to simulate out the rest of the baseball season using a computer And I wrote about that for a New York Daily News, San Francisco Chronicle, Miami Herald, and it was covered on TV. So that's a perfect example of like somebody who's really lazy, who hits on something good.
0: (laughs) It seemed to work out well for you. You had a pretty good career in sports for quite a few years too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I did well. And I'm glad I stopped because uh, the last part of it, I was covering baseball for the Associated Press at times. Um, And you, I I don't know how any sports writer lives. I mean, because like you're working until two or three in the morning, you're eating hot dogs for every meal. I was so unhealthy. I I enjoyed it, but it was time to stop doing that.
0: Sports broadcasting is interesting to me because sports broadcasting and meteorologists to me are the two jobs where you could just be, absolutely terrible at your job, but still keep going. Like you never have to be right in sports broadcasting. You just need to say something that's going to attract attention. I can get on TV and say the jets are going to win the super bowl and people are going to keep watching regardless. (laughs) And they're just going to have opinions back. It's like a,
1: did you ever see the, you know, the show 30 rock? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that they have their uh, satire. It's called uh, Sports Shouting. Yes, <laughs> That's basically, that's the world we live in.
0: When you were, when you did, I know you did some work with ESPN over the years too, way back. Did you ever work with Kilbourne when he was there? Uh, not directly. I, I was there when he was there. This is a really random aside, but he had a late night show for a couple of years and he yeah. did a spinoff or a little you know mock of uh, Pardon the Interruption, which he called People of Opposite Opinions or Poop and his guests just had to take the opposite opinion, so they went back and forth, and it was a very well-done skit. You know, There weren't very many of those, I think, for him, unfortunately, but that one really got me good. That's hilarious. Um, So correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. We'll get back to the book here, but I've been reading this as I've been doing a little bit of research on you. I keep seeing the phrase, voice of LGBTQ literature. How does that make you feel? Um... You ever have something
1: in your life that feels good, but also feels incorrect? That's one of these things for me. I I don't think that's so. I mean, I've written seven novels that have been very well received. I've been published around the globe. And so a lot of good things have happened, but I just don't think that's so. I think I'm just a guy who has written a bunch of books. I think if somebody
0: said that about me, I'd be like imposter syndrome, you know, like I'd be like, are you sure? Like, is that really what you think? Yeah, there you go. (laughs)
1: that's about right for
0: me. And I process. imagine in every profession, there's always someone that you look up to, you know, as a writer, there are writers that you look up to that you probably think, well, this person, I, I mean, I think they're doing it better than I am, you know, I think they're more, so I can imagine, especially being in it, that it must feel kind of yeah. strange to get that title.
1: Yeah, um, it just doesn't feel quite right to me. But, but, you know, life, life is so strange. Yeah. It really is, you know, things are said, and and I don't know what is correct. Uh, it's it's funny that way though. Like, no, if that's on on my tombstone, uh, that'll be nice. But I will still feel like a, a dead imposter. I guess.
0: I've seen your, I've seen, I like the way you put that. I've seen that your books have received a lot of accolades over the years. Um, but in recent years, just in general, books about LGBTQ characters and stories seem to have been coming under much more fire from a lot of people, whether it's books being banned or people being attacked for whatever reason. Um, how, how have you seen things change recently? Are you feeling more of a support from your audience or are you really feeling that weight of people coming down on you? I, I think.
1: know the history of it i'll try to be fast with it i started in 2008 my first book came out that year out of the pocket which is a football book um and since then i've had seven and it's been 14 years uh i think that the first the field grew incredibly from you know when i started there might be have been 30 young adult books with lgbt protagonists that year in 2008 now we're talking about three or four hundred a year so it's really exploded um, and this new thing that's happened is really just in the last eight months or so, uh, it's a concerted effort by the right wing to take over school boards uh, and to vilify authors who write books about LGBTQ people or people of color. Uh, and it's working, you know, it's, it's I shouldn't say it's working. It's been effective. Yes. Uh, and we're having to fight. Back, and it's surprising to me because I thought we were doing so much better. My sense is that like most straight people don't care anymore. Yeah. But And I don't think that that was true 15 years ago, but I think it's mostly true now, except for these dingbats. And that's as nice as I can say it.
0: There was a great podcast. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell does a podcast. I think it's called Revisionist History. But he did an episode recently about Will and Grace and how when that show went on the air... I forget the exact number now, but public support for gay marriage was very low across the country. Yeah. But when it went off the air, public support was over 50 percent. And they were just kind of talking about how at that time when there weren't streaming services and people getting pulled in a million directions, everybody watched TV at night, like those primetime shows are what everybody got together, the TV to watch. So you had a shared experience with people and watching these characters come to life on screen and share that story as fictional as it may be. It still gave them a different appreciation for people that they maybe thought they didn't understand.
1: Right. I agree. I, I think representation is extraordinarily powerful and it, and it changes opinion. The thing on top of that, uh, Will and Grace did so much. Um books are even more powerful. And the reason that they're more powerful is that they are, reading a book is a different experience than sitting in front of the TV. Uh, Now when everyone in the world is watching something different, or then when people are watching the same thing even, um, it's very, very personal. And so uh, reading a book with a LGBTQ protagonist makes a huge impact uh, for most people, both for kids who are LGBTQ, Uh, But also, I mean, we're all basically the same, you know, which is not a compliment, by the (laughs) way. I mean, like, I don't know that we're all too all that terrific, but we're basically all the same. Like, how do you meet me and go away thinking, Oh, that's the devil. You you know, I mean, I'm just a person. Yep. So,
0: uh, the book is called destination unknown. And again, it's, it's a fiction story, but what I really loved about it is I, so I was born 81. So I grew up in the eighties and nineties and I knew of the AIDS epidemic, but I grew up, you know, I'm a a straight white male that grew up in the suburbs of New Hampshire. I didn't have a lot of gay people in my community that I experienced. I, I didn't really know what that was about i read about it but didn't really get to didn't feel it didn't experience it firsthand so reading right. the account from these characters as they're living it and they're talking about it it just mm-hmm. it hits you in such a way that it paints that picture for a time that i i really i lived through but didn't really understand
1: uh first of all thanks for saying that i mean it, it feels nice to hear you say that yeah i i think that it's something that you either went through or you didn't. And my hope is that people who didn't go through it can read it. And it's not like I want it's, to, it's not like I'm trying to make people feel sad. It's actually sure. a, a fairly hopeful book. Uh, and it's a funny book at times, but I, I do, I think it's really important. I want people to understand what it was like to grow up. I think some of my favorite parts of that book are these conversations that CJ and Micah have on the phone um, back when people talked on the phone, but you know, <laughs> I would have given anything to have a friend like that. I didn't really, I had straight female friends I talked to on the phone, but not like another gay friend, but you know, that experience of two boys basically going, am I going crazy? It feels like I'm going crazy. How is it possible that like this thing is happening and no one's paying attention? Uh, It's a feeling that, it's part of history. We should we
0: should all know it. And it's an interesting part of history because like you said, we should all know it, but I don't think very many people do. I mean, I think people know what AIDS is, obviously. That's something yeah. that people are sure. aware of. But even during the pandemic, I had a friend of mine, I was watching some news report with them, and they saw that Dr. Anthony Fauci had been involved in the AIDS epidemic. And they were like, what, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean AIDS epidemic? I was like, do you not understand what happened 30 years ago, 40 years ago? I mean, what, how did you miss that? But I imagine there's a lot of people that just really, didn't understand what it was doing to that particular community. What's so
1: funny about that is that like the right wing's reaction to Fauci after COVID sort of mirrors the early gay reaction to Fauci about AIDS. <laughs> it's like, it's it's just funny how history repeats itself. But yeah, yeah. I mean, this whole thing happened and there are uh, places that people can find the information. But I also understand that like it doesn't sound that wonderful. Like, oh, let's read a yeah. book about AIDS. But it's about it's actually was a very exciting and interesting time to be alive. New York in the 80s was interesting. Um, Yeah, I I, I want people to know, you know, one of the things that isn't in the book, but it's a it's a good example. I wonder if this will be meaningful to you, if you'll understand the analogy. I grew up at a time when there were no mentions really in the in the media. I'm 10 years older than you Mm -hmm. uh, about gay stuff. Mm -hmm. So some of the first things I ever heard about gay stuff came from Eddie Murphy and his, com- and his comedy. And I had his album, and we'd play it over and over. And pardon my language, he had a thing called Faggot Ass Faggot. It was some joke that he did. And we would repeat it in school. Right around the time I'm figuring out that I'm gay, that's the thing that I heard. And sure. all of the people who were my age at that time you know, pillorying me and i said it at first too so it's not like i'm blameless this is our society but i then became when i came out like the victim of that Mm -hmm. and people faggot ass faggot all of this then the world just sort of changed and i feel like we never had a conversation about like the that (laughs) that some of us went through like it was it was awful yeah growing up in the 80s growing up in the 70s for for gay kids was a disaster
0: Oh, I, anyway, I could only imagine it. And I'm sure, you know, when that was coming out, when Eddie Murphy was doing these stand ups, you were probably about the same age as when I first saw them because I saw them about 13, 14 years old. So that 10 year yeah. difference that would make sense. And I remember vividly, remember watching Delirious, renting Delirious from the video Delirious. store. And at that sure. time in my life, I had never laughed that hard in my entire life. And I look back Absolutely. on it and some of those, ju- they are very, you know, out of touch. They're very, you know, out of place now. But at the time, that was such a piece of the conversation it was such a piece of pop culture to make jokes about Mr T being gay or whatever like that that was yeah. something that was just natural and it's so yeah i mean i i can't put myself in your shoes but i can imagine mm-hmm. how difficult it is to hear people reciting these jokes that they think are okay. hilarious and you're just like oh wait a minute <laughs> oh
1: wait a minute right well so it's it's still kind of it's funny because i still like off color and offensive jokes i do But I've finally also come to understand, like how damaging that was, like what that actually did to me and people like me. We were invisible. I had to say I had no self-esteem would be almost an understatement. I thought I was a piece of dirt, a speck of dirt, and it took me a long time to come back from
0: that. I'm curious about the community because. As I see it, you know, in my recollection of history and what I've seen over time, in the 80s, when the AIDS epidemic was starting to take hold, it seemed to create a stronger community with people really saying like, wow, this is attacking us. We need to band together and we have to try to work hard to fix this. Is that what you experienced? Is that what you saw? Did you see a community start to grow out of that tragedy? Well, I I wasn't around before it, so I can't speak to what was
1: going on before it, but that is the history. That's what they say. And I certainly was around at the beginning of ACT UP, which was a big part of that history. Uh, the Coalition uh, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power um, was extraordinarily powerful. And it was my first time getting angry and being joined by other people and being angry. So a- absolutely, it, it it formed a community. I mean, I think it was either going to form a community or um, wipe out a community. Yeah. There's no
0: way around it. Well, I'm glad that it formed because that's a very important piece of this. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Because personally, from my recollection, trying to live through this, I remember first starting to see gay people in popular culture kind of in the grunge music movement. Like you started to see Uh, that become more popular in the early nineties and that's, you know, kind of coming out of that, like sort of, I don't want to say the tail end because gosh, it still continued for so long, but that's kind of coming out of the eighties and coming out of, you know, where people were really starting to talk about that age tragedy.
1: Yes. Um, the nineties is, a is a really interesting time in history. And I think that some of that movement, the Northwest movement, uh, that was really, uh, Uh, it was as if being alternative was for the first time acceptable in some ways so I think that's amazing and and you know uh, so here's the other thing I wrote this book and it is now this is historical fiction I think it's funny that the 80s are historical but they are Um, somebody maybe you'll do it will write a 90s book it'll probably be still probably need five or ten years but then that'll be considered historic And I think that what's so cool about that is that we don't really understand history at the time. We don't understand that we're in the middle of history and we don't understand the meanings. So we assign the meanings later. Uh, But I would be so interested to learn more about, well, the 90s for you are the 80s for me. So I think you would be better in some way to, better able to explain what the 90s are and what happened there
0: a big piece of that puzzle too which i think you get really well in this book without it being gratuitous is the music affiliation to things because for me i'm yeah. a, i'm just a music fan in general so for me yeah. when you talk about a band or an artist i associate that with a piece of history i can listen to it and think okay i remember like what life was like when this was happening i remember where i was mm-hmm. when i first heard this like that's just that's the way my brain my brain works so when you're referencing right. all these artists from the 80s it puts me in that place that I know to be the 80s. You know, it makes me, when you talk about missing persons, I'm like, okay, now I kind of have a feel for what we're talking about now. I feel this vibe now.
1: Yeah, and and I love music. I feel the same way you do about it. It's very powerful to me. Uh, One of my favorite things about this book, it's named after a missing person song, Destination Unknown. I was a huge fanatic, but what, what tickles me about it uh, there's a book that came out a couple of years ago called Like a Love Story. My friend Abdi Nazemian wrote it. It's very much like this book. It takes place in 1990, um, and of course, it uses Madonna as I use Dale Bozio of Missing Persons. That tickles me because the truth is, if you want to make a lot of money, use Madonna. Like, <laughs> like, like this is if this is so me that I would use Dale Bozio. You know, nobody's really you know, lighting up the world about Dale Bozio. but I thought she was awesome. And I, I love that music so much.
0: Hey, you reference Wham in the book too. I mean, come on.
1: Absolutely. I loved Wham. You know, there was a time before we understood that George Michael was gay and it was a question mark. That's historical, baby.
0: I remember shortly after this is a silly aside too, but I remember shortly after he did, I think, officially come out, there was a TV special or something on M T V or VH one where they were making fun of quote unquote bad videos and wham was on there and the, the comments were just like, How did we not know? Like you can't with this song, like Wake Me Up before the video for Wake Me Up Before You Go Like, how did we not know watching this video?
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I, I wonder that too looking back. Um, and, and there were certain things I did know, like before Freddie Mercury was out, I knew Freddie Mercury was gay when I was 10. I just knew you, you, there were certain things there are. It's like codes that may, maybe they're built in. Like I saw him and I was like, oh, OK, similarity, something I know is happening there.
0: I like to the two main characters, CJ and Micah, play different. I don't really know how I don't want to say this in an offensive way at all, but they play the different roles that I think popular culture will maybe see as part of gay community like you have sort of like the the closeted like not really sure what he's going to do about it you know kind of gay character then you have the I am out and I am proud and I am all about it I don't care what anybody thinks about it character and it's so interesting how much we run into that in daily life I I have a lot of gay friends and it's funny I have a couple a friend that's a couple and they are exactly these people like one is like you you would have no idea talking to him he you know whatever it is and the other one is just like we are partying today he's all over the top and it's hilarious I'm reading this picture the two of them actually through most of the book.
1: <laughs> oh, that's cool. I like that. I like that when characters are relatable like that.
0: Yeah, you know, and
1: and I, there's, you'll see there's a, not an epilogue, but an author's note at the end, and I say some things about who I am in this book, and I don't want to ruin that for you. Um, but there are, there is some Mica in me and some CJ, and I think what's kind of fun about this book is I'm guessing you wouldn't be able to really guess talking to me, and I like that. Uh, on the negative side, it also means i'm not sure I know who I am that's yeah. a possible possible problem that still exists here
0: but that's okay. I feel like we all go through that all the time
1: yeah, I mean it, it is true you know it's uh it's interesting,
0: so the people who tell you they know who they are are usually lying right <laughs> yes, I think that's true or they're very overconfident about something, they probably shouldn't be that confident <laughs> with you. Oh my gosh, well, I I do, I'm just so fascinated by this story, and I feel like it's given me such a visual of an experience, and I know earlier in this conversation, you said people ask you how much of it is autobiographical, and you're like, you know, there's pieces of it, like I, you lived in New York City in that time, you did experience some of these things, Uh, is there anything that you found while you were writing it, that kind of struck you differently, when you're trying to recount your own experience to create these characters, and to paint that picture?
1: Well. I'm not sure if this will answer the question directly, but it seems like what I should say about this. Um, I knew for many, many years I was going to write this book. It's like when you have something that you know is a story, I always knew I'd have to deal with this. And I just didn't know how I was going to tell the story. And the way that it finally worked for me was I had written, so it's, I'll give it some of it away. There is probably in some ways a little more CJ to me than Micah, and okay. CJ is the sort of out and proud kid. Um, I, w- I was only able to do the story justice when I told it from Micah's perspective. So instead of being in the voice of CJ, which is a very comfortable voice for me to be in, I switched over to a secondary voice. It's like, oh. it's sort of like the Great Gatsby. It's like the, the premise of the book is meeting a very interesting person and that relationship. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. 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 I think I see what you're saying here. And I also like what you said about how you said you had to deal with this at some point in time. Like you were like, I knew I had to, why did you know you had to deal with this? So maybe, uh, Oh God, I'm going to use the word
1: brand and I hate that, but it is sort of my brand um, that, (laughs) thank you. Um, That, so I have no filter is the first thing. I've never had a filter. Uh, The reason that I came out early is I didn't know how not to come out early. I wasn't uh, flamboyant. I was just, I knew I was gay and I didn't know how to not express that. Um, Because of that, it seems like I am just going through writing my life and, and they all take this, they all are fictionalized accounts. They aren't my life, but so much of it comes from my own trauma. And I, right before this, I wrote a book about suicide and depression. I have dealt with chronic depression in my life. And I think after that, it was like, so what's the one thing I haven't written? And it was this. And this was, I mean, I can't even say that it was a hard book to write. It was a hard book to write, but it was a powerful book to write. I really had to go in and look at some things that sometimes are more fun. It's less pleasant to spend time in that period, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and as you just said, it was less pleasant to spend time sort of recounting that and, and thinking about it, but did it feel cathartic in a way to go back and kind of deal with some of those demons?
1: Yeah, I think so. It it, it really um, helps, you know, and, and, you know, this gets a little deep, but I'll, I'll say it. I told you I have no filter. The... Um, you know, one of the things that CJ has dealt with in the book is that he's a, a guy who grew up too fast, came out very early. That was my story. And so I was having experiences that I thought at the time when I was 14 and 15 and 16, I just thought were bad experiences, like my a bad first time. I now understand that that's like, that was statutory rape. I was with adults. And it took me so long to understand that that had happened to me. And, and deal with it and sort of come, come away from it. And so it was very cathartic to be an adult and look back and have a better and more clear understanding, not only of what I went through, but how I survived it.
0: I I told you before I haven't finished the book. So this may be a stupid question because I don't know how it ends, but is there, even though it's not an autobiographical story about you, is there anything from this where you were writing it that you kind of felt like you could write a different ending for yourself?
1: Yes. I don't want to give it away. Uh, I I wanted to look at things that could have happened to me based on the choices, not only the choices I made, but the situations I was sort of pushed into. Uh, So yes. Uh, but I won't say any more.
0: Oh, damn it. Now I gotta finish the book. Okay. I to finish the book. You Sorry. I'm going <laughs> I am going to. I, I am going to. I have a two year old that sometimes keeps me a little more oh. occupied than I think she's going to. I hear you. But yeah, uh yeah. But yes, she is fantastic and I love her, but sometimes I just wanna read a book. Oh. <laughs> Kids, they just, they it's all about them. It really Always. is. Like, I, I got to open everything for her. She can't even do, I mean, oh. come on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> come on. He's <Be> self-sufficient. <laughs> uh, Bill, the book is Destination Unknown. It really is a great book. And I guess my last question for you is, I was reading, this is described as a YA novel. And I, I forgive my ignorance on your previous work. So they all kind of falling into that same sort of world?
1: They are. I've been considered a young adult author, however- I would say that this is at best a crossover book. I don't think it's really a young adult book. I think this book may appeal to young readers, but I think I'm hearing a lot of people in their forties, fifties and sixties who are really enjoying this book.
0: I'm in my forties and I'm enjoying it, but is there a piece of you that like, I guess maybe the question is how do you, how do you tap into that emotion to write for that younger audience to write those books?
1: Well, I, when I began doing this, when I wrote, started to write the first one, I was 31. Okay. So, a little bit younger you know, then. at that time, I, I was much younger and I was closer. Uh, the truth is that it's gotten harder. Every year it gets harder. I get further away. I don't have children of my own. So I am going through, I think, what I would call like literary puberty now. You know, I'm going to start writing. I, the book I'm working on now is an adult novel, and it's simply because it's become harder and harder. I mean, to write a book that takes place in 2022... And to be inside the head of a 17 year old i think F 51 is probably not something i should try
0: <laughs> my wife is a middle school teacher and every time i'm thinking about something in pop culture or some sort of slang i'm always like hey can you check with your kids like if this is cool <laughs> like if this is what i should say <laughs>
1: absolutely absolutely and, and i'm aware that i'm like one of the people who misuses emojis so like sure. i shouldn't be writing these books i mean as long as, and I've kept it, you know, this one is historical. So I get away with it. I I have a pretty good sense of the emotional life of a 17 year old that I have down. It's the, it's the language that I'm lost with them.
0: My toxic trait is I still type ha ha instead of using emojis. I haven't gotten out of that habit yet. (laughs) That's toxic. for sure. (laughs) Well, Bill, I appreciate your time. Is there somewhere that people could go if they want to follow along with your journey, if they want to find out more about you?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I'm on social
1: media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm trying to get off of Twitter. There really is only one Bill Konigsberg. Um, well, there is another who's a CEO, but you won't think that we're the same. <laughs> <laughs> Fair one enough. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your
0: time, Bill. This is a fantastic book. I hope people check it out. I really have been enjoying myself while reading this and I can't wait to finish it up.
1: Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you so much to Bill Konigsberg for his time today. His book, Destination Unknown, that's the book we've been talking about for the last half an hour or so, is really a work of art in my opinion. I hope you check it out. It's available wherever you get your books. And thank you to all of you for joining me for this episode of Adult Education. Until next time, be well.